And hello to you, and welcome to the Richard Nichols Podcast, the personal development podcast series that's here to help inspire, educate, and motivate you to be the best you can be. I'm psychotherapist Richard Nichols, and this is episode 181. It's titled, The Foundations of Confidence. And if you're ready, we'll start the show. How are you holding up, boys and girls, and everybody in between? It's been an odd couple of weeks, hasn't it? And it's probably going to be odd (laughs) for a little bit longer yet. Is odd an understatement? I think it really is. But because these podcast episodes all sit on the internet forever and a day, I don't want to go on too much about the corona situation at the minute. If you're listening to this in the future anyway, then you already know more about it than I do, and you aren't that interested anymore. And if you're listening to this on its release, then there's enough stuff out there already. And although it's a big part of everybody's life right now, personal development and mental health issues don't stop. Needing to be inspired, educated and motivated doesn't stop, just because we can't go within six feet of each other. So I want to kind of put it all to one side to a degree and talk about confidence today. crops up a lot in the therapy room and I do get a lot of emails from listeners asking about it because it's a tricky subject and it's tricky because it's so big what is confidence to one person is arrogance to somebody else and someone can be confident but still be anxious in certain situations so it's quite hard to actually define what confidence really is and that's why we pick it apart in therapy sometimes and work out what it is that people really need because we can't only rely on the dictionary's definition of confidence, although I do like it. It says something like, Confidence is a feeling of self-assurance that comes from an appreciation of your abilities or qualities. That's nice. But aiming for that isn't really the goal in therapy, because you can be confident and not appreciate your abilities and qualities. In fact, I'd say that a, a, um, a very confident person can probably completely accept their lack of abilities or negative qualities. And that's sometimes maybe when it does border on arrogance. When somebody has negative qualities but doesn't care. And as a therapist, it's tempting to think that their confidence is false, just some arrogant defence mechanism to mask some massive low self-esteem issue. Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. Or maybe it's that confident people can appreciate their negative qualities. There are plenty of racists who embrace their bigotry. They aren't all psychopaths. But you can be confident and still see room for improvement in your personality too. If anything, that takes great confidence to look at your weaknesses with enough understanding to accept them and learn how to work with them and still like who you are. And I think that's what we need to do. That's what we need to do when it comes to working with confidence. We need to accept, understand and like ourself. To me, these aren't just the foundations to confidence. They're probably the foundations to anything to do with personal development. Those three things form the pillars of everything from psychotherapy and counselling to improving your game of golf, with everything in between. Even Slimming World would say that. Often when someone comes to me wanting to lose weight, we start with an acceptance of where they are right now an understanding of what caused it, and the self-esteem to like themselves enough to think that they deserve to be healthier. 
Otherwise, the steps required to make the changes don't happen. It's the same when we get business owners, CEOs that come into therapy, maybe for anger management or addiction issues. Because other people see them as confident. These folks seem determined and outspoken. They don't care what their employees think of them, so they can be quite tough on them. And they don't fear criticism. And people in in that sort of position coming into therapy are doing so usually because they're almost always in some bad mood. It doesn't matter how hard they work or how much money they earn or how big their telly gets, they're still not happy. And that's so often because they don't understand themselves. They've never stopped and thought, what actually makes me happy? They don't accept themselves as they are, and underneath it all, they don't actually like themselves. They think of themselves as bad people, bad spouses, bad parents. The thing is, if that's your foundation, then you will create a defence mechanism that hides it, not just from other people, but to a degree from yourself as well. You'll keep yourself busy and angry and stressed, rather than face this big secret that you've been hiding from yourself and the world for so long that you don't think you're a nice person. And until people have no choice, they get forced maybe into going to therapy because of some event, maybe, they don't get to understand themselves. They don't get to realise that this self-hatred is hiding under the surface. And if it is, and they, they start to tell me that and describe that, we begin to see a new perspective. Because actually, those that think of themselves as bad people are usually good people that have acted hurtfully. They might have done some bad things, but they're still good people. Genuinely bad people won't care if they've done hurtful things. People have even told me that they don't like themselves very much, but when pressed to figure out why, they can't even find a reason. They have to scrabble around remembering times that maybe they didn't return somebody's phone call, or they were anxious to meet up with a group of friends and were a a no-show on a night out. Am I a bad person because... I only see my sister once in a blue moon? No. But even though I make just as little effort to see them as as, as as maybe they do to see me, one in particular, she's telling me she feels guilty all the time for not seeing me. So we can both have the same experiences but feel completely different about it. And when I met up with a sister that's quite local to me over um, one, one Christmas, she said something like, I know I'm useless, I'm sorry. You must think I'm a dreadful sister. And I didn't know what to say. Now, the correct response to that is, don't be daft, I love you, it doesn't matter. The incorrect response is, hmm, that sounds like projection. As if the feelings and opinions you have about yourself create thoughts as if everybody else has the same opinions, even though they don't. Which is kind of what I said. Which is uh, annoying. (laughs) I did the same thing with my wife. Surprised she hasn't hit me earlier. She Give it a couple of weeks. I'm sure she will. We're working in the same house for uh, 24 hours a day. She'll hit me. Um, but at least I followed it up with, with my sister. Don't be daft. I love you. It doesn't matter in the end. But I think understanding about projection is important. In psychology, projection is the transferring of emotions from yourself onto others. If you like someone, then you get a feeling that they like you. And if you hate you then you get a feeling that so does everybody else. It's just what the brain does. I sometimes feel a bit self-conscious because I'm a bit short. 
Now, when I was in my teens and 20s, I felt a bit paranoid about it because I was thinking about how short I was. Just to say here, I'm not Danny DeVito short. I'm about the same height as Declan Donnelly, which is still three or four inches taller than uh, Prince was. And he was goddamn sexy. And I'm even taller than Daniel Radcliffe and Michael J. Fox. So very few people are ever going to look at me and go, crikey, you're little. Unless they're quite tall themselves. But because I was thinking about how short I am, it created this feeling that everyone else is thinking the same thing. Which probably goes back to being called Titch when I was at school. And until I was 14 or 15, I probably was one of the shortest in my year. And having that feeling about myself for, I don't know, 10 years maybe, and at a significant time of life as well, those formative years, it creates an identity. And years later, the reality has changed, but my identity hadn't. I still felt as if I was being judged in some way, even though no one was calling me Titch anymore. Bizarrely, my nickname in my early 20s was Dr. Dicky, but... Being called that didn't make me feel like a doctor. You know, it didn't give me any extra self-esteem to no longer be called Titch all the time because my foundations were still called Titch. And so a part of me continued to project out this feeling that belonged to a ten-year-old. This feeling of everyone thinking he's insignificant. Which is why I ended up becoming very much a people-pleaser. I found it very hard to say no to anyone who needed help. And I got my significance or sense of self-worth externally rather than internally. It was other people's opinions of me that counted rather than my own opinion of myself. Because over time, projection had caused me to lower my self-esteem. I was putting my thoughts into other people's heads without realising it. And so it didn't matter what I did did matter how nice I was, how hard I worked, I still carried around this feeling of judgment because of my own judgment towards myself. I saw a cartoon once that summed it up perfectly. It was a man and a woman in a supermarket with their backs to each other. Both had thought bubbles where she was thinking, what a hunk, I bet he thinks I'm such a loser. And he's thinking, what a babe, I bet she thinks I'm such a loser. So they never have that clichéd chat in a supermarket that leads to exchanging numbers, which is a cliché and sounds like a flipping Richard Curtis film, but is exactly how a friend of mine met her partner, so it does happen. And just imagine if those, those friends of mine, they were like those two in that cartoon, thinking, oh, they'll never be interested in me, I won't even bother making conversation. You know what? I'll just take my dinner for one and be on my sad, lonely way. What a waste that would be. Problem is, what if the other person is interested in you, maybe not romantically, but just is happy to get to know you, and they don't have self-esteem issues that prevent them talking to you? Maybe you join a choir to try and make new friends. If you don't like yourself, and if you're not careful over time, because this is what I did, you create this alternative version of yourself, the you that you know everyone would prefer, and in my case, it was this jokey, silly, almost clown-like character. I wasn't happy being myself, so I had to pretend to be somebody I wasn't. And that didn't work out too well. Well, it wasn't until I started personal therapy as part of my, my um, original training to become a therapist that I was able to be honest with myself and look at it all. It was only then that I was able to understand myself 
and then began to accept myself, warts and all, good and bad, all five feet six and a half of me. Once you get to that point, it actually becomes easier to begin to like yourself, not in a narcissistic way, but you're able to filter through your behaviour and habits or whatever and see the good rather than the bad. To not be hard on yourself if you're snappy and be okay with acknowledging it rather than hiding it. If you can acknowledge that you've maybe behaved inappropriately or snappy or rude or just went too far in an argument, then you can accept it and apologise if you have to, rather than being defensive and make things worse. So I think that those three things of understanding yourself, accepting yourself and liking yourself are all important. But I do think it starts with understanding. And maybe that's why you're listening to this. So thank you and well done. If you'd like to learn a bit more, by the way, if you want more episodes, consider becoming a patron. Why don't you? And you'll get a new episode every Monday morning. Just like Marion, uh, Elizabeth, Juliet, Victoria, Alan and David all did last month. Thanks for coming on board, folks. I hope I've helped guide you through the month, especially the craziness of the last couple of weeks. I'll love you and leave you for now. Follow me on social media if you want to keep in touch. I use Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. The links are in the show notes. Have a great April. It's going to be an interesting one, certainly different to any other April I've ever had before. But I refuse to do anything other than embrace it and make the best of it. And let's see if we can all do that, eh? So take care and I will see you next time. Bye.